listening to The Caravan of Hope, promoting peace, safety and well-being for every human on earth. And welcome back to the Caravan of Hope. And uh, I'm Brent Caldwell. I'm COVID medic. And today we're broadcasting from my living room. Uh, we're here in Dunedin, New Zealand. And we've come together for this um, episode um, in the post-Christmas vacuum. Um, it's an interesting time of year. A lot of people say there's not a lot of news at this time of year. And, um, well... I think today we're going to kind of beg to differ because there's there's some big issues still floating out there in the world. Just because it's Christmas doesn't mean things aren't happening. Um, so today we're our plan is to maybe have a chat about um, the most recent peace march that you've been on, COVID, yeah, and then um, talk about um, what some people have been saying um, in their Christmas messages, particularly uh, Dr. Munter. Martin Isaacs in um, Bethlehem, and also chatting about um, the work of um, Reverend Canon Michael Wallace here in North Dunedin. Um, and then I guess we might just have a bit of a chat about the reason for the season and what does what's happening in the world mean for Christians in all parts of the planet or people who follow that particular um, belief system. And then at the end, I just want to talk about access to some media because we have talked about um, which media outlets do people trust and how can they be sure they're getting the right kind of um, information, the the unsanitised, unredacted stuff. Um, probably a pretty tall order in, uh, these days, but um, I just had a wee learning moment today using the app Press Reader, and I've got I wanted to say a few words about that. Okay. So um, let's kick off and maybe talk about um, the peace march on um, Saturday. That would have been December twenty third here in Dunedin, New Zealand. Yeah. Well, I went on the peace march again, and there were, I think. A probably a, a less than the previous weeks. I guess some people have gone away for holidays or, you know, got involved with the Christmas things, and that's fair enough. Um, and that was... It still felt like a really good thing to do. First of all, I think it's actually kind of bringing, still bringing the attention to the world, bringing attention to other people, even if it's just the people who are on that day, there was a lot of people, of course, out shopping. So they're coming out of the shops and hear this noise, people chanting, and hopefully some of them, um, you know, stopped and thought about it. Um, the other reason, which I think we mentioned before, is, of course, to have that support for the Palestinians in Dunedin because they are going through a horrendous time. I mean, many of them have lost friends or relatives and they may, you know, their relatives may still be alive, but there's that uncertainty of, well, is the next bomb going to drop on them? Or if they lose contact with them, which, you know, I imagine contact's very difficult to, to, to maintain, are they, you know, one, are they still alive? Are they dead or are they buried under the rubble? Um, 
And I, th- I think it was slightly, it, probably the march was probably slightly depressed the people because we had been hoping for the UN resolution, which was going to come through. And finally, America was going to come on side and it would uh, take humanitarian aid and give a ceasefire. But America kept delaying it and delaying it and eventually could only kind of say, yes, there should be humanitarian aid, but no ceasefire. So sort of this odd juxtaposition, we'll send them aid and then we'll bond them. It's kind mm. of a curious anomaly. And uh, later on the TV, I heard that one of the the US, someone in foreign affairs, woman had, had made the speech saying, we must, we must do everything we can. There's great urgency needed for the situation to help these people. But it's like, well, actually, you're the only one stopping it, you know? Mm. So mm. kind of hypocrisy, really, from mm. the Americans. And, and just, I think... It's just people were so, I don't know, despairing, you know. The, the United Nations really has just fully shown it's, like like we said originally, the League of Nations got disbanded because it didn't have any teeth and the United Nations pretty much is the same. And then the other thing I noticed was um, we talked about it, the, the um, freight containers and ships being bombed by the Houthis. I noticed that now within four or five days, they've got 20 nations together who are going to keep a peacekeeping force so that our gifts from Amazon will get to us on time. But they can't get together to actually save all these thousands, tens of thousands of lives. And so it's a bit sad, really. We... <clears throat> but it's the economic elephant in the room, isn't it? It's the economic elephant in the room, you're right. And just, uh, I, I'm not sure whether we were. this is the time to jump in with this, but you did send me an article um, this week about um, the fact that, you know, there are people out there saying that, you know, one of the factors for such a huge response from Israel is access to resources. Yes, yeah. Um, the article I was reading was uh, was about um, the oil reserves in and offshore Gaza, um, and and there seemed to be a little bit where at one point, uh, I think it might have been the seventies or the eighties, that actually Israel was agreeing to have the Palestinians be able to access those using foreign companies. Mm. I think it might have been British Petroleum or somebody like that. Mm. Um, but as the years have gone by, they, they haven't. And so you might be able to access the oil, but Israel had all the control of it, had to go through Israel, and all the money received from it had to go through Israel. And they wouldn't give any to Palestine if there was any, um, you know, terrorist or what they call terrorists, we could call freedom fighters, uh, depending which way you look at it, um, incidents. So mm. consequently, actually nothing's happened, but some people do believe uh, this is one of the reasons because it's huge reserves, and that could have made a huge difference to the Palestinians' lives, although living in a prison camp, I don't know how much it could have done for them. But that again, it's so many wars. Um, I think, as you were telling me earlier, the... One of the reasons Hitler 
Hitler went against Russia was to get the oil reserves in yeah, in the Black and, Sea. Yeah, and to get access to, to resources. And, you know, I think you often find that with imperial expansionism. Yeah. In fact, that article you did share talked about that um, the discoveries of oil in um, Iraq and Iran back in the 20s, which were under British control, were, um, you know, ensured that the profits and, and, and all of the, um, the wealth that that generated went back into the British Empire. Um, and I guess I don't think I don't think it's drawing too long a bow to kind of say this that it's always a big motivator for people's involvement. You know, you talk about nations deploying ships to the Red Sea for the protection of Suez trade mm. because that has an impact on the world. People bombing the the people in Gaza doesn't really have an impact on the world. No. Um, I'm sure if there was um, lithium mines for Teslas in Gaza, there'd be a, a completely different response. But um, I think that's, you know, one of the juxtapositions of, of life on the planet. And we always end up talking about it's one planet. Yeah. If we had, you know, um, one global village you know things might be a wee bit different but because we've got these little pockets that we call countries yes um things that things are pretty slow to change and um just recently actually at the end of the peace march i was walking down george street and i met a friend who's from kurdistan and as you may know kurdistan after the first world war maybe the second world war first world war mm-hmm. Um, got divided up into four ter- it wasn't ever a, an official kind of country mm. um, but it got its land and people got divided into four countries there was Iran, Iraq, Syria and Turkey and unfortunately they've been persecuted by all four countries over the years um, so another of these kind of map things that the British, the French and later, the, I think the Americans probably joined in too. Mm. So um, with the march, there, obviously there would have been speeches at the end there. Mm. Was, were, there were there any of the speakers that um, resonated or had a message that you think is worth sharing today? Uh, well, I, actually there were, there were two things. One which I haven't mentioned to you before, I thought I'd just pop this in. One was actually a, a guy called Richard. I don't remember his last name, but he's a musician from South Dunedin who 20 years ago had written a song called Tear the Walls Down, which was about what was happening in Israel, in in Palestine, where they had just started building these huge walls. And um, actually the the woman, Mia, um, told a story. She had been working for, I think, United Nations or something. And there was a number of schools in one area and the children, they seemed to have lost all motivation. They couldn't figure it out why, what was happening. And then they went to the school and they, they did a project with the children, they were primary school children. Mm. And they found out that um, the schools were right next to the walls. And before the walls were there, they could actually see across to the sea. They could see the horizon. But now when they looked out the window, all they could see was a wall. And the children told them directly it's because of the wall. So what they decided to do was they painted a mural on the wall of the sea and what would have been there and the children's came up. But um, 
that was that was one of the things that resonated. Mm. Um, and then the other was a speech by the Reverend Michael Wallace Wallace from um, All Saints Church in Dunedin, and he was basically reading a few messages from various various different um, pastors in different parts of the world. But the one I remember most was from the uh, the one in Bethlehem, who was called the Reverend... Munter Isaac. Munter Isaac. Um, and he had been saying that because of what's happening, they were not going to celebrate Christmas in the normal way with lights and celebrations, um, although they would still be having prayers. Yeah. Um, and you also looked at the website and saw something, Brent. Yeah, um, I know it was on last night's news. There was there was coverage of the services that were taking place in Bethlehem, and I was reminded of that because late last century, I was actually in um, Jerusalem at Christmas time. Okay, being raised a Catholic and being in um, the Middle East, it was kind of like. Um, something that I felt I, I wanted to go and see and observe. Um, so this would have been December 1989, I think. Wow. And so we went, um, we came across from Egypt yeah. and um, travelled up by bus to um, Jerusalem and then had to get a Palestinian taxi to go to the West Bank because you didn't want to go there in a in a um, Israeli number-plated car. Right. Um, and, yeah, I remember going there. It was very special, but the place was packed. Uh, the centre of Bethlehem is called Manger Square. Right. And um, it's hugely floodlit. Yeah. And the post office is open 24 hours so that pilgrims can send a, a card. And I, sent, I spent the whole evening sending all these cards postmarked um, December 25th, 1989, to all my family right. from Bethlehem. Yeah. And then they'd have international choirs who had fundraised to come and celebrate. You know, yeah. it was it was huge. Yeah. Um, so I was reminded of that last night because when I watched on um, television, the only people who could attend were people who actually are um, members of the religious orders who actually live there in the West Bank. Yeah. So obviously... Um, numbers were down there was well there's no tourism yeah and quite rightly in my view i'm not saying that's everybody's view but in my view i thought it was it was quite right that there was no actual celebration mm. of course mark the day but um the um uh, reverend dr monta isaac you know gave quite a um a powerful um uh, sermon from the pulpit and was just sort of saying, you know, if Jesus was born today, he would have been born under the rubble in Gaza. Yeah. And therefore their nativity, which is such a powerful image, they they have their nativity and um, mm. you, you've got um, all the traditional players of the nativity scene and the baby Jesus sitting in a, in a large pile of rubble yeah. wrapped in a Palestinian headscarf. Yeah. Um, so... Um, uh, the kefir, uh, which is placed in the rubble. So I thought that was a powerful image and it, it, it basically... It's a very powerful. Yeah, and I, I don't know, I, I think I followed the link to have a read about what he said. And in fact, if you want to watch the entire um, service from um, uh, Bethlehem, it's called A Liturgy of Lament. 
and it's the Christ in the rubble and it's from the Evangelical Lutheran Christmas Church in Bethlehem and um, the full text of um, Reverend Isaac's um, sermon is there and he's not pulling any punches. Do you think we might have a link on the website? I think yeah, we can we can certainly pop the pop the pop the link in from there. Mm-hmm. But um, just reading the last you know few lines, you know, it says Christmas in Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus, is this manger, and this is our message to the world today. It is a gospel message, a true and authentic Christmas message about the God who did not stay silent but said his word, and the word is Jesus, born amongst the occupied and marginalised. He is in solidarity with us in our pain and brokenness. And this manger, which he's talking about, the one in the church, is their message to the world today, and it's simply this. This genocide must stop now, and let us repeat to the world, stop this genocide now. This is our call, this is our plea, this is our prayer. Hear, O God. Amen. And I just think that's probably a sermon that's been given all across the world in churches all across the world. Mm. Um, but we wonder, I don't know, you know, who's listening to that that can make a difference? Is President Biden going to his Catholic church? Is um, Rishi Sunak going, you know, um, going, you know, are the leaders listening to their beliefs or are they held to ransom by the simplicity of um, politics and economics? I don't know. It's a difficult question, that one. Which, again, brings us back to the big tented values of this podcast, Mm. which is not about um, pillorying and taking sides, but more about focusing on humanity. It is. The global village. Yeah. All people are have the right to live in peace, yeah. have access to food, work, and be able to protect and look after their families. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think Christmas Day of all days. Just a personal question, how did, how did you spend your Christmas Day yesterday? Uh, well, I did two major things. One, one was I actually went to the Dunedin Town Hall where um, they put on this amazing thing where they give Christmas lunch to a Christmas dinner to 500 people. Um, and they can be anybody. They're, you know, I think principally it's people who maybe live by themselves um, or maybe people who are homeless or there seem to be some people who are visiting too. Um, so it was kind of a nice mixture of people. And this amazing thing, it was 500 people they fed. They must have had about 250 volunteers um, and it was extraordinary. You know, there's, these people put all this effort in. I was just there as a, as a table host, they call it. So my effort was spread over a few hours, but people have been preparing this for days, if not weeks. Um, preparing food, making, you know, and the tables were, they had linen tablecloths, linen napkins, beautiful decorations. Mm. Mm. Stainless steel cutlery, you know, beautiful glasses, nice plates, and the food we were given was, well, I only managed half. It was, you know, more than that. And my understanding of this event is everything is donated, everything everything's donated. provided, provided yeah. for free. Yeah, and it's it's just a tiny, tiny example of how, when people put their minds to it, 
they can do great things for their fellow humans. And and the person who's been running it for the last 10 years, I think it was called Grant, um, said he and his wife took it on. I think maybe it was happening before, but they took it on 10 years ago and decided, okay, we'll, we'll do it because they heard it wasn't going to happen anymore. Mm. And, you know, it's amazing. They were saying, you know, what two people could do? Well, it, their son was also involved, but he was only 14 at the start. Mm. Um, and, you know, just to see all these people who've come because of the, the vision maybe of these people. And I guess also if we're kind of thinking of, of Jesus, I mean, his actual words were, go out, feed the poor, you know, be with the lonely, um, treat the sick, you know. And so this was an actual example of somebody doing that, feeding the poor. And again, an action you take in Dunedin, New Zealand or Kalgoorlie in Western Australia or mm. East Bexley in England or, you know, in PEM in France or anywhere. Yes. It doesn't have to have a ripple that spreads around the world. But, it, you know, all those tiny actions can really um, make a big difference. That's right. As Mother Teresa said, we can't do big miracles, but we can all do small actions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, well, that's a great Christmas Day. And I guess um, our Christmas Day was, I was thinking about um, humanity yesterday. Um, We're a blended family, as you know, and it was just lovely for the two blended families to get together and make Christmas the reason for the season. Yeah. And um, we were able to have a wonderful, wonderful time. And um, what struck me was we were camping out. We'd had a beautiful, beautiful day. And for those of you who don't know the geography of New Zealand, Dunedin is a southern city and is not always blessed with the best weather, even though we have summertime Christmas. But um, yesterday, for a wonderful little window of time, there was beautiful, beautiful sunshine. We walked on the beach and saw baby seals and came back and we had a wonderful Christmas dinner, but we had pitched the tent out at the out at Long Beach yeah. and um, and the rain came down in the evening and I was sitting under that canvas and I was hearing the rain on that tent and I was thinking, you know, what must it be like um, being in um, Gaza right now? Yeah. Um, and and f- to all intents, the, 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 the pictures I've seen are of plastic tents. Um, lucky, very yeah. very crudely erected, um, and it is bitterly bitterly cold. I think I mentioned to you when I was in Bethlehem all those years ago. Yeah, I had to go to an army surplus store and buy a jacket because I'd I'd foolishly believed all the Christmas cards I'd had as a child <laughs> that the weather was fine, but oh man, it was cold. So I, I bought a kefir yeah. uh, to um, have a dollar each way with the Palestinians and an, an Israeli army jacket with um, on the oh, other okay. way just to keep myself nice and toasty. But I, safe. I, I was thinking of those people last night. And, yes. um, well, again, how lucky we are here. Yeah. But um, wonderful that there was such a community um, activity here in our city and all around the world, I'm absolutely certain. And, and, you know, we do have, you know, the majority of people in this world, I think, are, are good people who do good things and wish well for their human beings, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and the coming together of families, you see that as families come together and they're sharing. They're sharing love mainly, you know. There yeah. may be presents, but, I mean, actually most of us kind of... The presents are secondary and usually we forget about them after a few days anyway. Yeah, and I guess um, that's probably because 
one of the reasons this podcast exists is because we're trying to say, okay, what can we do to take action? Mm. Um, we've mentioned about marching. Mm. Uh, we've mentioned about emailing your politicians. And just because you email them once yeah. doesn't mean you can't email them again. That's right. And keep reminding them that you are out there and have an expectation. Yeah. Because every time you send an email, that's someone um, expressing an opinion that they that must be listened to. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's donating to charities. I've noticed social media is absolutely awash with um, appeals. It and, is. you know, it's it's not like um, these are just random appeals. This is necessary. Your money will go and will help people yes. um, in, in dire circumstances and not just in Gaza. You've got um, children in uh, Ukraine. You've got... Um, um, People in Sudan. Oh, Sudan, yeah. And, and Eritrea. Yeah, all, all the, the places. Yeah. Burma. You name yeah. it, the, the, there is a need. So don't think that um, anything is too small. Anything is um, would, would, would make a difference. Yes, and, and you know, uh, it, is, it is wonderful, yes, and to give, and I still come back to this thing that actually we're, we're treating people at the bottom of the cliff when the United Nations should be actually at the top of the cliff, stopping people being pushed over the edge. So here's my question, yeah. and this might be one for you to take away and have a think about. How can we put pressure on the United Nations? How can we, for want of a better word, lobby? Like, I couldn't even tell you who our United Nations representative is. Well, the, the one person we actually have in New Zealand who is was very high up, I think may still be very high up, I'm not sure, was Helen Clark, our former Prime Minister, mm. who was the person in charge of... The World Food Programme, was it? Refugee, well, no, refugees. Um, I'll just have a quick Google of that. So I don't, I don't exactly know... She was the United Nations Development Program Administrator. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the United Nations they does some really fantastic work, and I have to say that, but we're still on this thing of, like, we go in after the... Mm. The peacekeepers can go in after all the war's finished. Mm. The, the people for relief have to go in there, you know, and for refugees, there's a whole part of the United Nations for refugees which do great work, but... We should we shouldn't be having those refugees, you know. And still, there's the solution maybe that they can kick everybody out of Gaza and they can be refugees, you know. Mm. And we'll have another two million people in refugee camps. And I mean, there's still people from Palestine who became refugees seventy years ago who are still in refugee camps where you have no status. Mm. You probably don't have a passport. So it's you know it's horrendous, really. Okay, well, we've kind of run out of time today and um, we were going to briefly touch on, and I think this is probably something for our next episode, where we talk about the continuum of beliefs around what's happening right. in Gaza. I think that's an episode on its own. Okay. Um, but um, just one thing in closing, I was, and I hope you don't mind, I just want to um, maybe pop in front of people was... Um, since this podcast has started, you've yeah. basically been challenging my thinking and um, what I know about the situation. Yeah. So I'm kind of alert to um, if anything pops up and says, oh, here's some information on it. And um, just um, 
the other day I was just having a scroll through Facebook and a, and a link from The Economist came up from um, October of um, this year, which um, said, you know, if you... Uh, six books that shed light on a century of violence in the Middle East. Um, and because, you know, I remember in our first episode, we kept saying this is a very complex situation. Yes. Um, so people may be interested to um, have a look at some of the titles in this list. Um, there's one called um, A Peace to End All Peace which um, astutely traces um, the motivations of the Allies for carving up the, um, the Arab world. There's one called Enemies and Neighbours, which was praised by Palestinian and Israeli historians alike and offers a tour of the past century of conflict. One that stood out to me was, and I think it was the title that grabbed me, it said, It's Easier to Reach Heaven Than the End of the Street by a woman called Emma Williams. And in the year 2000, um, she was a British doctor and she um, accompanied her husband, a UN official, and took their three children to live in Israel. So she writes a whole a whole um, book about their times that they spent there. So mm. I'm not saying that these are definitive answers to the questions that we've been asking, but um, for anyone listening out there who wants a wee bit more information. And, and the problem that I see, Brent, is that The Economist, actually, if you try and link onto The Economist, they go, oh, you have to pay a subscription, and not all of us want to get the rest of The Economist. Is there anything we can do about that? <laughs> yes, there is. I'm so pleased you asked. We can probably put a link to this on our website, and um, we're going to start a Facebook page. So um, you could probably look for that as to be one of the earlier posts in, in our Facebook page um, where people can find it. But um, You're it, also going to tell us about a thing called Press Reader. Oh, yes. Well, that's how I actually got to read um, this um, edition of The Economist. Um, so for those of you in New Zealand and beyond, there's a wonderful app called Press Reader. And if you're a university student, um, your university will have potentially access to that. If you're not, your public library will have access to that. So um, Covido's homework is he's I've, just before we started recording, he downloaded the app. So when he comes back for our next episode, he's going to tell us about all the things he's read on Press Reader. He's just got to find his Dunedin Public Library card That's right. and enter in that very, very long number yes. and your PIN number and then... It's valid for 29 days, and what happens is after 29 days, you just have to go in and re-enter. But okay. it's, it's, and every time you open a, a publication, it says, this is provided to you by the Dunedin Public Library right. or whichever library, um, like I've accessed it through um, the University of Otago as well. Right. But it is an amazing resource. And um, as you've said, The Economist is one of those. And the reason I found it in The Economist is because I too clicked on the link and it said, you've got to subscribe. Yeah. So I scratched my head and thought, hmm, I wonder if it's on Press Reader. And there it is. That sounds like a great resource. Um, the last thing I just wanted to say was um, in our podcast links, um, if you want to follow it or subscribe some sites say follow some say subscribe yeah what happens i found when you press the link is it then comes up with a little button saying something about rss yeah yeah and i have no idea what rss <laughs> was for me it could be you know some some site that wants me to to download yeah. pornography or something no like rss has got a nice wee icon that looks like the wi-fi icon tilted yeah. on at the side and it's basically a web feed that allows users 
and um, applications to access updates. So, for example... If so, you, so you do have to actually press on that button that says RSS? Well, right, yes, to, but to you see, follow. if you're on Spotify, you just go follow yeah. and it already connects to the RSS feed. If you're on Apple Podcasts and you go follow... It, it, it's almost like programmed in the background. It would, except on my one, it came up. Yes. So, so you do have to Because that's because you Googled it and I you went through it. Google. But, okay, um, well, I'm sure a lot of people might go through Google. Yeah. Us, us non-technical, uh, non-Apple people. For those astute <laughs> listeners out there, you'll hear there's a tug of war between <laughs> the tech side and the we haven't done that before side. But, um, yeah, it's pretty easy to, to get access to this podcast. But... Yeah. Um, as we say, if you don't have um, access, just send us an email to caravanofhope2023 at gmail.com or um, just Google our website and keep an eye out for our Facebook page. So um, Merry Christmas to everyone's listening. covid this is our last um, podcast for the 2023 year, yes. is it? Yes, I'd, it is. I thought so. Our next, I think. Who knows what the new year may bring. Next one being the new year. Well, hopefully it brings a ceasefire. Hopefully yeah, it brings peace. Well, let's hope so. You know, that, that message, um, you know, the Christmas message, I'm, I'm not a, a, a bona fide Christian, but I do like that message, peace on earth and goodwill towards all men and women and children. I think we need to add that. because Well, to all sentient beings in a way. We could be all sentient beings. That's, yeah. uh, that's another step. We may have to talk about it another day. <laughs> anyway, in the meantime, Merry Christmas and may you be well, may you be happy. May you live with these. And may you be at peace in, in a peaceful world. See I-